Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. You know, I've always been fascinated with some of the lesser-known characters in the biblical story. Well, Matthias, who's the subject of today's message, is about as lesser-known as it gets. After all, he only turns up in a small part of the first chapter of the book of Acts, and then he disappears just as quickly. But truth be told, as brief as is his appearance, Matthias nonetheless figures prominently in the story of the new church, and as such, he's a big part of our own story as well. Based on the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, here's the message entitled, Matthias. It is both interesting and very telling, I think, to note that the very first thing that the apostles do as a new church is to hold a congregational meeting. Well, not exactly. I mean, remember that up till now, the 11, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers, they had been holed up in the so-called upper room devoting themselves to prayer and waiting as Jesus had directed them for the promise of the Father, that is, for their baptism with the Holy Spirit, coming, he said, not many days from now. But the reality was that even after all the the jubilation and excitement that had come about in the lives of these disciples by virtue of Jesus' resurrection, not to mention having just witnessed the dramatic ascension of their master into heaven. Nonetheless, there was work that needed to be done, decisions that had to be made, jobs to be filled, and things that needed to be done and organized and finished. And so, as Luke describes it in his book of Acts, they came down from the upper room and they gathered together with 120 other believers And then they settle down to doing some church business, which, of course, set the pace for all the rest of us for years to come. And in this case, the business results in the election of a man by the name of Matthias as a new apostle. And who is Matthias, you ask? Good question. In fact, we don't know all that much about Matthias. He remains one of the great mystery men of the New Testament. We can tell you that, and this is through Acts, that Matthias was one of two potential candidates for filling the apostleship of the now deceased Judas, the other being a man named Joseph Barsabbas, who was also known, as Kay read, as Justice. We know that both men were considered longtime followers of Jesus, and we know that they were both, as Peter described them, witnesses with us of his resurrection. But beyond that, all that we really know is that following some prayerful consideration that the Lord would show them the right candidate, at this congregational meeting, lots were cast, which, by the way, was an ancient form of election and was pretty much as it sounds, 
Small stones or even sticks were used. But essentially, folks, it was a roll of the dice. It was drawing straws. It was, it was as they do in survival, picking for rocks. In the belief, you see, that God had already chosen the right person. And so this is how it would be revealed. They gathered together in a meeting. They cast lots and were told the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. And after that, Matthias was pretty much never heard from again. Seriously, friends, Matthias' name never comes up again in the books of Acts or, or anywhere else in Scripture for that matter. And historical records regarding his life and times are sketchy at best. Some maintain that he ministered uh, in Greece and points east. Other traditions hold that Matthias preached the gospel to, quote, barbarians and meat eaters, unquote. And by meat eaters, I mean cannibals. And he did so in the interior of Ethiopia. And still others maintain that Matthias was in fact stoned to death by religious authorities in Jerusalem and then beheaded. We just don't know. In truth, the best clue that we have about Matthias comes in the meaning of his name. In the original Hebrew, his name would have been Mattathiah, which means a gift of God. And actually, you know what? That kind of says it all. As brief as his appearance is within the gospel story, Matthias emerges as a gift of God to this new church. A gift to them as they take their very first steps into an uncertain yet very purposeful future. In fact, I would go so far to say that Matthias represents for us today the difference between uh, a church languishing and stagnating where it is on the one hand, or to else, on the other hand, go boldly to where it's supposed to go in following the lead of the Holy Spirit into new areas of ministry and witness. To go, as Jesus himself said it, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Matthias was, in fact, the first of many leaders in the church. Disciples of Jesus Christ who were ever and always about the business of moving forward with doing God's work in the world. Which, when you think about it, extends to include you and me as part of the family. What we find out from this little story from the book of Acts is that from the very beginning, there was a tension that existed between, shall we say, continuity and order on the one hand and innovation, creativity, and change and growth on the other. I mean, the whole idea that there has to be a replacement for Judas the details of whose bloody end, by the way, is recorded uh, in this particular text in Acts, but was not included in our text this morning. Or for that there needs to be 12 individuals as opposed to 11 in this inner circle of apostleship, which, by the way, symbolically links the apostles with the 12 tribes of Israel. Not to mention the, the idea that Matthias had actually been part of that group already for pretty much the whole three years that they'd been following Jesus. 
All of this and so much more tells us that in the midst of everything changing right before their eyes, the disciples really wanted and really needed some solid connection to their faith and tradition. They wanted in any way that they could to preserve things the way they had always been. Hence the need to replace Judas. Hence the need uh, to have 12 apostles rather than 11. Hence the need to sort of promote from within, if you will. And you know what? That's valid. In fact, it's, it's true, as true today as it has ever been. To quote William Willimon about this, he says, in order to serve Christ, we must become the body of Christ, and as such, we must be organized, must have form, and must have continuity. That's why, friends, as broad and open and diverse as we do seek to be in the church today, in the end, what we do as a church, whatever we do as a church, must be rooted in something akin to our biblical faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We need to be in some way connected to the historical tradition of Christ's church. Anything other than that, friends, quite honestly, makes us just some random gathering of religious people, if that. So, yeah, there, this, this election had a lot to do with making sure traditions were followed. But by the same token, the apostles also realized that they weren't ever going to be able, nor did they really want to dwell in the past. Especially in light of the fact that even in this moment in between the risen Christ and the Spirit coming, they were being confronted by new challenges, which really comes down to the question of, okay, now what do we do? I have to imagine that in all those days spent devoting themselves to prayer in that upper room, this must have been the big question that was weighing heavy on their hearts. I mean, they all knew about Judas. They were aware and understood the scandal that he represented. But still, he'd been, at least at one time, allotted his share in this ministry. So what were they going to do about that? What were they going to do to go about replacing him? Moreover, how long were they meant to just remain in that upper room? And what about this so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about as he ascended into heaven? And how was all of this supposed to, to fit into Jesus' call to be witnesses to the ends of the earth? In other words, and I said it before, what are we supposed to do now? Where are we supposed to go from here? I mean, at this point, they didn't even have the luxury to fall back on that old familiar mantra of, well, we've never done it that way before. Because, well, this was all untried territory. This was a brand new call toward an unknown future. And it was all crystallized in the seemingly impossible decision as to who should be the replacement disciple. And when you think of all that, the idea of casting lots almost seemed like a perfectly legitimate solution. We can't make up our minds. Let's let God decide. In the end, regarding that election, and probably everything else as well, they turned to God. Lord, you know everyone's heart, they prayed. Show us which one of these two, Matthias or Joseph Barthabas, that you have chosen. 
And make no mistake, all joking aside, this, this wasn't a situation of asking God, should we? It wasn't about saying, okay, God, you just handle it. Rather, it was asking, how is it that we will best serve you, God? How do we make your will for the world in our very lives come to pass? It is going back to the source as a way of finding inspiration for a new age. And it was a spiritual discipline. One that required steadfast faith to follow as well as a trust in God's will and purpose, great courage for the journey ahead, and utmost enthusiasm, even and especially in the face of the world's doubt, its negativity, and even its persecution. You see, that, that time and place and that situation, not altogether different from our own. This little story about Matthias is a story about how we move forward as disciples of Jesus Christ. It's about transformation in the church and among his people for the sake of his kingdom coming. But bring it in closer, and it's also about you and I being bold enough to step out into the world and into the future wholly as people of faith, even if we're not entirely sure where that's going to take us or how it's going to happen. And understand, that's, this is not that just one step is required. More than likely, we will get there only by a series of many, many smaller steps. And that's okay. For as Anthony Robinson, who is a theologian, author, and pastor out of Seattle, Washington, has written, there appears to be something inherent within the nature of the gospel that values small things. The widow's coin, the pearl of great price, the, the, the few seeds that fell upon the good soil, all of these small things that the world regards of low account. So remember, Robinson goes on to say, as you are having that one-to-one -one conversation in the pew, as you are teaching the only two children who showed up for Sunday school, or if you're there visiting one sick person, remember, remember that the exodus from slavery began with one little step towards the promised land. The point is that true discipleship takes that first small, cautious step. But that is followed by a prayerful stance, and that's followed by a few more little steps, and it eventually leads to a leap of faith. The journey might be long. The way might be uncertain at best. But this is how transformation happens. And this is how you and I, in this place, here and now, become witnesses of our risen Lord to the ends of the earth. Back in 1984, just about this time of year, when I was ordained to the Christian ministry, itself the culmination of a long, relatively uncertain, but very transformative journey, about that time, I received a nice note of congratulations and blessing from a colleague of mine. And in that note, I'll never forget what he wrote. He said, this is quite a celebration that's happening in your life. What do you intend to do for an encore? That's pretty much how he sounded, too, by the way. 
Well, folks, nearly 35 years later, that's a question I am continuing to ask myself, both as a person and as a parson, but especially as one who would be numbered among the believers. And it seems to me it's a good question for each one of us as Christians. Dear friends, we have been so blessed by God in Jesus Christ. We have been gifted by his spirit for life and for living. We have been restored. We have been redeemed. We have been renewed and we are being empowered here and now as persons and as a people for the sake of his kingdom. So in the face of all of that, what do we do as an encore? I would hope and pray that we will take that to mean that we should go out there and seek to live good and godly lives in everything that comes to us. That we can make a true difference in this world. That we can be an influence in the lives of the people around us And while as we do so, that we might manage to hang on to our spiritual values and the integrity that comes from that. Likewise, I pray that it means that even the smallest and most innocuous routine pieces of business that we have to attend to each and every day will be, in fact, imbued with faithfulness. That everything we do be predicated on the desire to be witnesses of the risen Savior simply by who we are, and more importantly, by whose we are. And I pray that that this notion, this conviction, will come through in our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors and co-workers, with a stranger that we meet along the way with the people with whom we share our mission in Jesus Christ, with our family who is the church. I pray for all of this for us. But most of all, I pray that what this means is that we won't hold back. But rather that we will be bold enough to move into an unknown future as true believers, embracing the life we've been given, Facing whatever comes with hope and courage and love. With our eyes set towards the kingdom every step along the way. The Lord does know our hearts. Peter was right about that. And I dare say that the Lord needs us to be the Matthiases of this world. He needs us to be bold enough to take our place as Jesus' disciples in whatever comes to us. That we will be people to go wherever it takes to be witnesses of his love. To be people who will know his spirit as a guide and an inspiration for the way. So how about you? Can it be said that you are also a Matthias? Are you a gift from God? And are you ready to be a disciple for a new day? Give that some thought and prayer as we go to the Lord's table today. And thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled... 
Matthias. It was recorded during our June the 2nd service of worship at East Congregational Church. By the way, if you're looking for a place to worship or seeking out a new church home, we'd love to welcome you to East Church. We gather for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m., and we are located on Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. As I like to say, we are a small but mighty congregation, and I guarantee you will feel welcome there the minute you walk in the door, and I'd love to be able to say hello to you. Well, that's it for another edition of Love to Tell the Story. Thanks for listening, and until we get together again, May God bless you with a wonderful day. See you soon.